0: God's word today is from the book of Judges, chapter 16, starting from verse 15 through till the end of the chapter. This is the tail end of uh, Samson's story, so Judges 16, starting in verse 15. Hear God's word. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, Then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man "'and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. "'Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. "'And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. "'And he awoke from his sleep and said, "'I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. "'But he did not know that the Lord had left him. "'And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes "'and brought him down to Gaza.' And bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice, and they said, "Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand." And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison. And he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which The house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol, in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel 20 years this is the word of the Lord let us pray and ask God to open our hearts Father we come before you this morning with a prayer with really the prayer of Samuel speak O Lord for your servant is listening we are your servants Lord we are listening yes Father we want to hear from you would you speak powerfully through your Holy Spirit to our souls and teach us the mystery of your grace and the sweetness of the gospel of your son, Jesus. It is in his name I pray. Amen. Well, as we are ministering in Novi, um, the the summer months were really amazing for us, really our first summer. Uh, One of the things we do to outreach and meet people is uh, events for kids. The last of our events was called... Cuts and cream uh, this was uh, this was getting a free haircut for kids and then ice cream afterwards in partnership with a barber shop and a hair school that is owned and run by a Christian man who is very supportive of our ministry and wants to help us, so we partnered with him, so a number of kids came. there were twenty kids coming from Indian homes and American homes and Japanese homes. And uh, I was thinking, so after they get their haircut, they come out, we had a tent, they would come and have ice cream, it was a hot day thankfully, and then uh, as they are enjoying their ice cream, we would tell them a Bible story and give them a children's story Bible to take home with them. And I thought, what, sho- what story could I tell to share the gospel? And I said, let's pick the story of Samson, only to realize it's not all that easy to share the gospel with Samson's story. And so here I had this kid's Bible, a children's Bible, um, actually written by Kevin DeYoung, who was in our presbytery a little while ago. Uh, And I'm telling this story. I, I just printed that picture bigger and telling the story and trying to connect it with the gospel of Jesus, which Kevin DeYoung does very well. And I realized this is not the easiest story to share. And yet it does connect with the gospel. It does, you know what it does? I realized, as I told that story 12 times, I realized, wait a minute, this story, you know, Samson may leave a lot to be desired, but the story of Samson leads us to desire Christ. And as I was telling the story, it just was on my heart. I think I need to preach this to the adults, not just the kids. Now, Kevin DeYoung begins his story Uh, of Samson with the notion of superheroes you know uh, our son is kids love superheroes our son is four years old Samuel his name is Samuel sometimes I call him Samson he's Sam my son Um, Samuel from the beginning loved superheroes and I don't even know where he learned about them from Iron Man to Spider-Man to Hulk he knows (laughs) he knows them all and he has books he gets from the library and he looks at them and Samuel is all fired up if you drop the name of a superhero. If you say, Spider-Man, he'll, like, yeah, he'll be like all charged up. And I say, Samuel, why do you like superheroes? And he will say, and I don't know where he learned this, he would say, because they saved the day. <laughs> uh, superheroes are mighty men with great strength and great valor. And they use their powers to fight evil and do good and save the people. Or at least that's what they should do. Kevin DeYoung says, the best superheroes set an example for us in faith, hope, and love. So let me ask you who are adults, do you love superheroes too? Come on, you can be honest. Yes, we do, and we don't need to be shy about that. You know why? Because the human heart is desperately looking for a superhero who would deliver us, who would deliver us from the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of our life. If we search our hearts, we find there a longing for not just a superhero, but a superhero really stands for a savior, a messiah who would who would save us, who would defeat all our enemies, who would fight all our enemies, whether it's at our workplace, at our homes, in our lives. When I was growing up, uh, the superhero that I liked was... Um, I. Uh, I knew about this film, but I, w- I got to watch it only after I was an adult, uh, this old classic called Predator, Arnold Schwarzenegger with his big muscles, eventually defeating an invisible alien enemy. I think, this is what I think, I think our craving and our desire for superheroes is really a sign that we want to see an all-powerful God become man and save us. And we know who that is. You know, in Jesus, God answers our deepest desire to see God as man in amen, in Jesus. The problem is that in the search for superheroes, we often settle for lesser superheroes. We often settle for imperfect superheroes. We end up idolizing people who are not God. We end up falling into hero worship. It could be politicians. It could be artists. It could be sports stars. It could be, in the Christian world, sometimes it could be pastors. We, we, we make demigods, And instead of worshiping Christ, we fall into worshiping men. Now, no matter how successful or accomplished our chosen superhero may be, we know and we ultimately see that they are flawed and they fail to satisfy our hearts. Today, I'd like to bring our attention to one such superhero who's in the Bible. He's perhaps the most famous or I should say infamous superhero, Samson. He had a special gift from God, and yet he was so deeply flawed that we feel like so disappointed. What do I do with this story? (laughs) If there is ever a blockbuster, you know, Hollywood film made on the life of Samson, we would not watch it for his moral fortitude, but we will watch it for just his muscles or his strength. Just to see him do the heroic displays of his power. So we must wonder, why did God include this story in the Bible? Because it points us to our need for the ultimate superhero who would defeat our ultimate enemies, death, hell, Satan, the world, and even our own flesh. So let's turn to the story of Samson here. Samson, as you know, is the last of the judges in the book of Judges. This was soon after Israel had conquered the promised land under Joshua, and within maybe a generation or two of Joshua, things began to descend into moral chaos in the land of Canaan that was occupied now by Israel. The famous line in this book is, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the verse with which the book ends people disregarded, this is the people of Israel, disregarded the law of God and did whatever they pleased. Israel was surrounded by enemy nations. In fact, some of them were living in Canaan because they were not fully eradicated. And God would, this is what God would do from time to time, let Israel, because of their disobedience, fall into the hands of their enemies. And then they would turn around, they would cry out to God, and then God would raise up a local chieftain a mini-messiah. You know, a mini-messiah is like a mini-muffin. No, he, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a local leader that God has raised up to fight their, hero, fight their enemies in a certain context, a specific enemy. So the word judges, that's what it means. It's not a, a legal arbiter of cases, but this is what he is. He is a mini-savior. Samson is the last of the judges was raised by God to fight the Philistines. The Philistines had five cities in the land of Canaan and lived in the lowland closer to the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. So we've just heard, read, I read to you the last couple of sections of Samson's life. But this sermon would be an overview of the entirety of Samson's life. And I tried to distill it and boil it down to uh, three under three headings. And under each heading, I want to share this. Firstly, three special things about Samson. Samson was special. I'm going to show you three ways in which he was special. And then three disastrous character flaws in Samson. And then thirdly, three things we can learn from this story. These are all very short points, so you won't be here all day. So let's jump in here. Firstly, three things uh, that are special about Samson. Firstly, Samson was born miraculously to a barren woman, a barren couple, and was set apart right from his birth. In Judges 13, if you want to turn there, we read the birth narrative of Samson. Manoah and his wife had no children. His wife was barren. And God sent an angel declaring this in verse 3, behold, you are barren and have not born children. But you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. And then it says, no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall, begin, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. The angel actually appears twice to this couple and promises a special child. So now what is this Nazarite vow? We hear about this in number six. It's a special vow that can be taken by an Israelite for a limited time during which uh, the person is not supposed to uh, drink wine or eat any product of the vine like grapes or grape seeds and they're not supposed to cut their hair. It was a vow that a person could take voluntarily and it was for a limited time. But here we see something very unique. The vow is imposed upon a person On Samson by God for all of his life so for all of his life he was supposed to be from the from from the womb to the tomb he was supposed to be a Nazarite so that even his mother when she's pregnant with him could not uh, drink wine so this is not something that Samson chose but God chose for him and clearly we can see from this that Samson was chosen by God from birth for a specific purpose to save Israel, from the Philistines. A second special thing about him was that Samson was given an extraordinary ability by God, namely his physical strength. On multiple occasions, we are told in the story of Samson that the spirit of God would rush upon Samson and he would receive supernatural physical powers to fight his enemy. The first incident we are told is in chapter 14, verse 6. He tore a lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. So he kills a lion barehanded. And then again we read in uh, verse 19 of that same chapter that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he kills 30 Philistine men barehanded again, all by himself. That's a lot of strength. And if that's not enough, on another occasion in chapter 15, this is verse 15 if you want to look at, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him again, and he fights and kills a thousand men, having no more than a jawbone of a dead donkey in his hand. Samson's strength was unmatched in the world, not only in Israel. And And the source of his physical strength was spiritual, it was from the Holy Spirit. This gift was from the spirit and God had blessed him with that gift so that he could defeat the Philistines and deliver Israel. So we've seen Samson is set apart from birth. Secondly we've seen Samson is given extraordinary abilities by God and we also see a third thing that Samson was a man whose prayers God answered. For instance After this battle with a thousand men, Samson was still in Philistine territory and he was dying of thirst. It was kind of a drought, it seems. So he prays to God in uh, verse 18 of chapter 15 and and God splits open a rock, a lot like he did for Israel during the time of Moses, and he gives him water to revive his life. God answered him and and sustained his life. And even at the end of his life. So here's, picture this. This is the passage that I read. Samson is tied with shackles to these pillars. And he has been blinded by the Philistines. And he prays to God in uh, verse 28 of chapter 16 Oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, he says. And again, God answers his prayer. And he's able to pull down these pillars. And this house has 3,000 people. This is an auditorium, an entire auditorium standing on pillars. Samson is able to pull down. God answers this prayer. And all these people die, and Samson also dies. Actually, if you look at it, uh, this, is the, uh, this is the only prophet or only person in the Bible for whom God answers a death wish. Jonah wanted to die. God didn't answer that prayer. Elijah wanted to die. God did not answer that there, his prayer, and here Samson wants to die. God says, "Okay, die."
1: <laughs>
0: but despite these amazing things about him, uh, Samson has some disastrous character flaws. I'll try to summarize them in three points. Firstly, Samson regularly—he had a pattern. He regularly disregarded God's law. Samson, um, after that dead lion that he had killed on the way back, in that dead, lion, dead lion's carcass, there was a, uh, a, a, a beehive, and he just puts his hand in and eats, that, eats of that honey. Now, if you're an Israelite, you're supposed to be ceremonially clean, and touching, and, uh, touching or eating from a dead um, carcass would make you unclean. And uh, Samson acts like he does not even know the Mosaic Law. And not only that, he feeds that to his parents who had no idea where it came from, making them unclean. Another example of Samson disobeying the law was him dishonoring his parents. They did not want him to marry from among the Philistines. Uh, Again, his parents were teaching him the Mosaic Law, which is what an important purpose of parenting is. And uh, this is Deuteronomy 7.3, uh, Moses writes, You shall not intermarry with the people of the Canaanite nations. It's not because of an ethnocentrism, but here's the reason. For they would turn away your sons from following me. And we see that happen to Samson. Samson is found chasing foreign women a number of times. He has had at least two wives and just walks right into a prostitute in direct violation of the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. So all left, right, and center, his life is not only marked by, but patterned by disobeying God's law for Israel. Secondly, we see Samson breaking the Nazareth vow again a number of times. He's found in drinking parties with the Philistines. So instead of following the customs of Israel, he's found following the customs of the Philistines because he's in love with the Philistine woman. Judges 14 verse 10, we are told, because he wanted to marry this Philistine woman, he did what the Philistine bridegrooms would do. They would prepare a feast, and presumably it, it is known uh, from extra-biblical evidence that it involved drinking. And so here's a Nazarite, a person under a Nazarite vow preparing wine drinks for everybody and presumably drinking himself. But most disastrously in the end he succumbs to the pressing and the pressuring of Delilah who betrayed him for uh, 1,100 pieces of silver. And so here God has given him the Nazarite vow and here's Delilah pressing upon his heart to reveal his strength and eventually he gives in. He gives out the secret of his strength which was in his hair. She puts him to sleep, shaves his head in a final breaking of his Nazarite vow that leaves Samson uh, powerless and eventually captured, blinded, and killed. Thirdly now, a third disastrous flaw in Samson's life. We see Samson again repeatedly. These are not one-off things that Samson repents of and his life changes. But he had a pattern of using his strength for personal revenge. While Samson does fight Israel's enemy, the Philistines. Uh, it's not because he had gathered a godly army of Israelite men and goes into battle at appointed times when God would send them, uh, like we see judges and the kings of Israel do. But here he fights them either to get even with them or to get, seek vengeance. So not only in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, we are told in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord says, "Vengeance is mine." But Samson takes vengeance into his own hand. He kills thirty people just to get even with the Philistines because they had unlocked his riddle. And then, on another occasion, when his wife was given to another man, he um, he uses his strength, catches three hundred foxes, ties their tail to a, each of them to a torch, and sets a field ablaze, just using his strength for his own fleshly, selfish, sinful purposes. Samson is found avenging Philistines even in his death not because God has called him to fight the Philistines but avenging them for his two eyes. We hear him say that. So we have to conclude that Samson lived an ungodly and unclean life. He lived a reckless and selfish life and in the end Samson fails to fulfill God's commission for his life due to all these character flaws. He fails to solve the Philistine problem for Israel, and it's going to linger on for a number of years, and we'll see that in a moment. Into the books of First and Second Samuel, the Philistines are wreaking havoc for Israel. So what do we do with this? What do we do with Samson's life? What is God telling us? What are three things that we can learn from this? Va- Samson is, Kevin DeYoung calls him a mixed bag, is a mixed bag of jelly beans and baby carrots. What do we do with him? Well, let me suggest three things that we can take away. First and foremost, the obvious takeaway is this, that God gives, he delights to give gifts to his people. Just as God gave Samson an extraordinary gift of physical strength, God gives one or even more gifts to his people. If you have, brothers and sisters, if you have the Holy Spirit you also have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, in First Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, you can see several spiritual gifts are listed. Serving, giving, teaching, administration, and you can freely go to a barbershop as well. Furthermore, we are told in 1 Corinthians 12, hear this, to each Each, every single one of you, I don't know your names, but God knows your names. God knows you before you were conceived, before you were born, and before you were born again. God knows. And it says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not for personal advantage, not for vengeance, but for the common good, which means not only to bless the church, but to bless the world. God has given you these gifts to build his kingdom. In fact, I will expand that a little bit to say God has also given you unique talents, unique trainings, maybe you've received during the course of your life, unique experiences in your life. Maybe you've been delivered from certain besetting sins. Maybe he's delivered you from difficult circumstances in life. Maybe he's delivered you from cancer. Maybe you're raising an autistic child. Maybe you've had some, you've grown up in a broken home and have come to know Christ. Maybe you were abused and the Lord has redeemed you. All of those, the Lord. You know, when you come out of Egypt, you never come empty-handed. God gives you gold in your hand. What do you do with your gold? What do you do with these gifts that he gives from the Spirit? Do you make... A golden calf, or do you give it to the old Ark of God that Moses makes? So think and examine. I think some of these things would be at the top of your head. What What is a gift, or a talent, or a training, or an ex- life experience that He's given you that He desires to use for His kingdom? Well, we lived for a number of years in Seattle. Uh, I became a Christian through an international student ministry and moved to Seattle and got plugged right into an international student ministry. And I saw a woman who was at the time in her 70s. Now she's in her 80s. She's kind of like my American mom and grandma to our kids. She's she's just an ordinary woman, and she's in her 70s, but she's full of strength. She has a lot of just strength. <laughs> she's active she would put me to shame as a 30 year old like wow how come you're so (laughs) active but you know she would open her home uh, for hospitality and very simple hospitality a simple home and she would open her home for international students and scholars and people and literally I'm not exaggerating tens of thousands of people have come through her home she became a Christian when she was in her 30s and now unto her 80s for 50 years Thousands of people have come through her home and experienced the love of Christ. Muslims have come to know Christ in her home. She had no understanding of Islam to begin with. Former Hindus like me have come to taste the sweetness of Christ in her home, an ordinary gift used in an extraordinary way. Our temptation is when our gifts are ordinary, our temptation is to kind of think they are nothing. But when our gifts are extraordinary, our gifts, our temptation is to use it for selfish or personal gain. So you all have gifts. A second takeaway here is, it's not our gifts, but ultimately our character that makes us useful to God. You know, the world is full of gifted people. Michael Jackson and Arnold Schwarzenegger and all kinds of gifted people in this world. But how many of them, God, can God use? How many are committed to God? How many are committed, even among us as Christians, to live a pure life of integrity, honoring God and his word in everything we do? Now, this is not a call to perfectionism. This is not a call to live a sinless life. But I am making an appeal to the church to live a committed life and devoted life to Christ. You know, ultimately, Samson's gifts were not useful to God because of his disastrous character flaws. And so many of us, uh, we live these split lives. We know God, but we live like his commandments are not real or optional. We live forgetting God. We live lives falling into, headlong into temptation, living a life of compromise, living a life of complacency, but God is calling us to live a life that is devoted to him. And as I reflect on Samson, I feel I am Samson, split. My heart is split in two. Prone to warn the Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I now love because he loved me first. One of the films that I really love—I love watching old classic films. Uh, this one is uh, set in Mexico. It's called *Nacho Libre*. If you haven't watched it, it's a really fun movie to watch. Um, this is set in a Mexican orphanage. One of the priests—he, um, this is a character played by Jack Black—he has taken a vow of celibacy, uh, but he he has a crush on a nun. He has devoted his life to serving orphans, but um, he likes to be a wrestler at night. You know, at night times they would have this luchador contest, which was involved with sinfulness. You know, wrestling itself may not be sinful; maybe it is, but in that context, it was. So he feels like he's he's torn, split. And there is one particular scene in that film that I really just, when I saw it, I really resonate with it, and I thought, this is what Samson is like. So. He's uh, praying. He's wearing his, nun, uh, his monk's um, um, robe. He's, he's kneeling in front uh, in, a, in a Catholic uh, cathedral. He's praying, and there are candles all over. He's saying, Lord, if you wanted me to be a wrestler, why did you make me such a stinky wrestler? And, uh, you know, as he's praying, one of the candles fall on his robes, and half the robe at the bottom catches fire. And so he runs out, you know, on fire. He goes out of the, the, the building and he's rolling on the floor in the sand and all these orphan kids are watching their, their priest, you know, rolling. And then, then the fire goes out so half of his robe is gone, it's burnt. And the top half is remaining and the bottom half he's wearing the stretchy pants of a wrestler. And they're like, whoa, that's a wrestler we like <laughs> that we watch at night. And here, So I see this half monk and half luchador. Half in love with God And half in love with the world. And (laughs) that's, I feel that's me. That's a lot of us. And that's Samson. But God is calling us to a life that is devoted to him. A life, a character in which, you know, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. How many of you can say that to even one person? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let's strive for that. A third takeaway is that, you know, despite our flaws, despite our failings, God gives us grace. God is full of grace, full of pity. Uh, Also remember what God had told via the angel to Samson's parents before his birth. Notice he says he will begin to save Israel from the Philistines. He will not end it, but he will begin it. Which means God knew that Samson is going to fail him. And there's a little bitty hint of that. But yet, with, Sam, with Phil, Samson, with all his flaws and failings, God pours his grace upon him. You know, God could just crush him to death. You know what? I'm done with you. Finish off Samuel. But here's Sam, Sam Sorry, Samson. Am I saying Samuel sometimes? Samson. Here is Samson Who has killed a thousand men unrighteously. And he's dying of thirst. And God is full of pity for this man. He could let him die. And he says, Lord, please, am I going to die of thirst? And God says, okay. He's a child of God. And God says, okay, okay. He is standing at the end of his life. You know, he's shackled between these pillars. His strength is gone. He's blinded. His head is shaven. And he's entertaining. He's being mocked. And the God of Israel is mocked. And Dagon is being uplifted. And Sam, Samson prays a prayer to God, but says, I want to avenge the Philistines. And God, you know, not only for the grace that he have for, has for us, but for his own glory, he answers Samson's prayer at the end and says, okay, Let's take all these men down because the Philistines need to know who is the true God. And he answers his prayer. Out of grace, but for his glory. So let me conclude this. What do we do with the unfinished task that Samson has left in dealing with the Philistines? Well, that unfinished task falls into the Samuel, the next The first prophet and maybe the last of the judges who has to deal with the Philistines. And then the first king of Israel, Saul, could not finish the Philistine problem either. And then finally, God raises a man after God's own heart. And that's David. Like Samson, David could fight a lion barehanded. You remember that? And like Samson, David was mighty in battle. He fought the Philistines. He killed the Philistine champion, Goliath. But unlike Samson, David's heart was completely undivided to God. He is righteous in his many dealings with Saul, his own father-in-law, who is after his life. His own son is after his life. And here is here's David with a splendid display of what righteousness looks like. And yet we know, and he does finish the Philistine problem by 2 Samuel 5, and we go two chapters further, or the next chapter, 2 Samuel 6, he's sitting in one afternoon, and there goes Bathsheba taking a bath, and there goes David down. So David also disappoints us, not proving to be that superhero for us. It seems to me like the Bible is, comes from the beginning to the end, is looking for who is that better superhero. The title of my sermon is Looking for a Better Superhero. That's us. We are looking for a better superhero. Who is this superhero? Is it going to be Samson? No. Is it going to be Saul? No. Is it going to be David? No. Is it going to be Hezekiah? No. Is it going to be, who is it going to be? That's the search of the Bible. Until hundreds of years after Samson, we come to this story where another woman in Israel is sent an angel, and she is told, you will conceive a very special child who is also set apart by God, by his from his birth, and he will have special powers, you know, he will have extraordinary gifts greater than Samson, he will be able able to heal the sick, cast out demons, he would be able to raise the dead, he would be able to calm the sea, which none of which, none of which he will use for his own sinful or selfish purposes, but only to build God's kingdom, and God would answer his prayers too, because ultimately he goes on to pray, not my will, Lord, But thine be done. And you know, like Samson, he will be betrayed, not for 1,100 pieces of silver, but 30 pieces of silver, hundreds of years later, you take into account inflation, that is nothing. And though people pressed him when he was on the cross, if you are the son of God, come down. If you are able to save others, why don't you save yourself? Michael Card wrote a song. He said, why do you nail him to the cross when only his love would keep him there? His strength was not in his hair, but in his love for the Lord, for his undivided heart, in his sinlessness, and his love for us, for the love with which he loved us. On the cross, this is now the Lion of Judah that has been crucified, Jesus Christ who becomes a lamb, and he takes on, empty-handed, the one who prowls around like a lion. He's not a lion, the devil, but he prowls around like a lion, and Jesus falls into his hand. He dies like a lamb, and his sacrifice is pleasing and acceptable to God unto death. Jesus remains faithful for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of us. For the sins of the Samson's of this world and to finish the unfinished work of the Samson's of this world, you and me, Jesus Christ offers a perfect sacrifice and becomes that better superhero that will fulfill and satisfy your hearts. Come and trust in him. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus. We thank you for being our true superhero, for satisfying our hearts fully, for forgiving us for all our flaws and for saving us from all our enemies. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to take a hold of you, that you would take a hold of us, that we may be able to walk in integrity, with joy and with commitment, for your sake and for your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name I pray.
2: Amen. Thank you for that good word from the Lordship. Jesus Christ is the greater Samson, the one who we truly need. Let us stand and give thanks to God for his word, and praise him for being holy and powerful. Also gracious and merciful and mighty towards us as his people as we sing Holy, Holy, Holy. Hmm. Nothing. No problem.
1: i Please be seated.
2: Shiv asked that question as he began uh, his time in the Word. Why did God give us the story of Samson? And of course, we ask that about every flawed person that we see in the scriptures who came to lead, to help, to guide, and try to save God's people. And God used them. But ultimately, all of them were flawed, all of them failed, all of them sinned, but one. And that one, as Shiv explained, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior, the Savior of God's people, who has defeated all of our enemies, our sin, Satan, the world, and the devil. And he did that through sacrifice, a sacrifice that is pictured before us in this table see why does god give us those stories and why does god give us the sacrament of the table and why does christ call us to celebrate this regularly because we're forgetful right we forget that christ is our hero we're so tempted to look to ourselves to look to others try to make this world a better place to try to deal with our own flaws, our own sin, our own failings. And yet where we need to look is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see him here for he gave his body so that he might satisfy the judgment of God and we might be made right with God. He poured out his blood for the new covenant so that we might be forgiven. And made God's people. That's what this table is about. Pointing us to Christ. But not only does it point us to him. We get to sit and fellowship with him. For he is here. Spiritually, not physically. He is seated physically at the right hand of the Father. Interceding for us. But he is here. And we come in faith and we partake of him. Body and blood so that we might be strengthened and renewed and remember that we are God's people because God has saved us through Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. let then a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What we see there is that this is a table, a meal, for God's people, for those who have trusted in Christ, who have been baptized, and are part of a gospel-proclaiming church. If that is who you are, this table is for you. doesn't matter if your faith is feeling a little bit frayed this morning. You are struggling and you're looking upon those ways you have broken God's law. This is the place for you to confess, to come once again, and to fall upon the mercy of Christ who gave himself for you and poured out his blood for the remission of your sins. But if you do not know Christ, to come to this table without being united first to Jesus in faith and baptized part of his people. To do that, Paul says, is to come in an unworthy manner. And he warns us, don't do that. Because what you first need is to not be under the judgment of God. And to come to this table still in your sins, not being forgiven, not being united to Christ and made part of God's people, is to do so in an unworthy manner and to come still under God's judgment. And he says, don't do that. What you need to do first is to come to Christ, to receive him, rest upon him, and trust him. if you've never done that, I would love to show you. Talk to me after worship. I'll be out here in the fellowship area. But if you do know him, come. Let Christ satisfy you. Let him strengthen you. Before we do that, let us affirm our faith together as God's people with one voice. We do that this morning through the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one. And so church, what is your only hope in life and in death?